Now we pray, Holy Spirit, will you come and will you breathe life into your word us this morning? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just uh, we just had Christmas a little while ago, and over the Christmas holidays um, or Christmas time, uh, I got to meet with with some friends from high school, which we try to do every year when when everyone's back in town from visiting family, etc. And uh, while we were meeting, <clears throat> one of my friends casually reflected, "You know, you were the last person I ever thought would be a pastor," um, and. And I didn't take that as an insult. That, that was a fair comment. And, and it wasn't because I was a bad kid. Uh, I wasn't a jerk or anything like that back in the day. You have now heard some of the stories of, of my youth. You know about things like stealing boats and all that. So not exactly a stellar resume for a future rector. Um, but even though this friend was present and a part of most of those shenanigans in my youth, that wasn't he w- why he was surprised by my calling. He was surprised because throughout high school I attended youth group with him. And I enjoyed all the fun and games, I enjoyed hanging out with friends, but anytime they tried to settle us down, teach us something from the Bible, my eyes kind of glazed over. Uh, I wasn't really there for that. And I wasn't really very strong in my faith nor in my desire to be a disciple of Jesus. It was during this time that my mother gave me a copy of this book, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Some of you may have read it before. It wasn't during this time in high school that I read the book, uh, but later on, as I got to university, there was a period of questioning uh, my faith, things, whether I wanted to you know, continue to, to go to church as I had been doing with my parents. Um, but that period of questioning did start to progress into a period of actually looking for answers, of seeking answers. Those are two different things. As I moved from questioning whether I wanted a relationship with God, I recognized that without Him there was a God-sized hole in my life. And so I moved to seeking after a way to find Him, and it wasn't very hard. And God, in His infinite mercy, welcomed me back. Then I did. I picked up the book and I read from it, and it remains one of the most helpful descriptions of the Christian life. It describes the Christian life as a journey, as a pilgrimage. that takes our pilgrim, our main character, from point A to point B with many points along the way, and it describes his transformation. And this was helpful because I could see so clearly the parallels between my own journey with God And I could see that I wasn't alone in this journey, that this was common to so many of us who are taking this journey in one way or another. As we've already observed, the Beatitudes are a description of those who have accepted Jesus' invitation to walk with him as members of his kingdom, living right side up in an upside down world. And we've also observed that there is an intentional sequential order. To the Beatitudes, it describes a process of transformation that takes place in the Christian life, a pilgrim's process, progress. And this progress is so important when we come to the fifth Beatitude. The fifth Beatitude is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The Greek word for mercy is eleos, 
It's used for mercy in the form of compassion or pity. So that being merciful means being gracious to someone. To show gracious favor or even saving mercy towards them, whether that's in spirit or in actual physical acts like giving alms to those in need. It also means to extend pardon, forgiveness. But what is essential to understand about mercy is that it can be both given and received. We see this in the fifth beatitude, which in its simplest forms explains that the compassion and forgiveness that the merciful show to others will be shown to them. Now, if we think about that for a moment, it kind of sounds like there are conditions on receiving this blessing of mercy from God. kind of sounds like we need to be merciful in order to obtain God's mercy, like we need to earn God's mercy through merit. But as we have already observed during our journey through the Beatitudes, the character traits that the Beatitudes describe aren't imperatives. They're not requirements. They're not saying, do this, and then you will receive this blessing. The Beatitudes are saying that people who are already like this are already blessed. That those in God's kingdom, those who have made the decision to follow Jesus, are already blessed in this way. And this becomes apparent again when we look at the fifth beatitude and see that, like many of the others, it's almost a direct quote from a psalm. In this case, Psalm 18, verse 25. The ESV translation presents this verse as stating, With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And if we look at the Hebrew word from which we get merciful, shasid, we discover it's used specifically to describe the godly, saints, the people of God, focuses on their faithfulness. So that the NIV translates our verse with the merciful, you show yourself merciful, as to the faithful, you show yourselves faithful. The mercy of God is one of the primary themes if not the primary theme of the Bible, the main point of the story of God and his rescuing of his people. Mercy describes the character of God as well as the desired character of his people. His disciples, members of his kingdom, the faithful people of God, are described as merciful. And so when we read the fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, Good to remember that Jesus is describing the character of those who follow him, of his disciples. They are the merciful, the faithful. It's also good to remember that through the Beatitudes, Jesus does present this intentional sequential order with a purpose, a goal to take us from point A to point B. So it's good to remember that his words are transformative, as well as a description of the transformation that takes place in all those who accept his invitation into his kingdom. And this is why in the Beatitudes we see both the description of Christian character as well as the description of the development of Christian character. The first four Beatitudes that we've looked at describe a spiritual progression, a pilgrim's progress, poor in spirit, a state of spiritual poverty, acknowledging our spiritual bankruptcy, 
which leads us then to a state of mourning over the cause of this spiritual poverty, our sin, our fallen nature, living in a fallen world, the reign of sin and death. But from this mourning, this godly grief, we are led back to God. We don't just leave it at acknowledging the truth and confessing our sin. We then turn back. We come to Jesus, meek, humble, in a posture of humility, a departure from that self-seeking behavior that's replaced by trusting in God and a willingness and readiness to do His will, to take up our yoke, our cross piece, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a desperate craving for relationship with God through Jesus, who is the only path to this righteousness, because we are only made righteous through Jesus and His work on the cross. And it's through Jesus and His work on the cross that we receive God's mercy, His forgiveness. It's through Jesus and his work on the cross, that we are no longer in a state of spiritual bankruptcy, in a state of spiritual debt. We're no longer slaves to sin and death. It's through Jesus and his work on the cross that we are rescued, redeemed, and welcomed into God's kingdom as heirs to his kingdom, as adopted sons and daughters of God. And that's why the sequence of these Beatitudes matters. That's why the sequence of these Beatitudes is so beautiful. Those who have recognized their own spiritual bankruptcy and mourned it and come to Jesus in humility, accepted his invitation to walk with him, have had their appetites set right to hunger for this relationship with Jesus and the good things of the kingdom of God. Those who have done these things have felt the comfort of God's Spirit confirming that they are God's children. They are God's people. They are members of His kingdom. And that they then are being filled. And through the filling of the Spirit in their lives, are being transformed and progressing and growing in Christian character from this place of bankruptcy, from depravity to virtue. And this is all as a product of our relationship with Jesus. We see ourselves being transformed to reflect his character. During our fall series on the Ten Commandments, we talked a lot about how those Ten Commandments are a reflection of God's character. The Beatitudes are as well. The Beatitudes describe Jesus, God with us. As we saw last week, he is the meek, the humble. Today we see he is the merciful. And in the weeks to come, we will see that he's also the pure in heart, the peacemaker. However, this progressive journey through the development of the Christian life, this pilgrim's progress that we've been talking about, is a reflection of Jesus, but for Jesus, it works the other way. Jesus' journey it's from virtue to depravity, from a place of sitting at the right hand of God and his throne in heaven to being humbled to the point of becoming a man, to being poor in spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
until he becomes spiritually bankrupt on the cross in absence of his relationship with God, which is finally and ultimately exemplified in his mournful cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that as one of the early leaders of the church, St. Athanasius says, He became what we are so that we might become what he is. And of course, we know it doesn't end there with depravity. We know that Jesus rises from the dead and is glorified and ascends and once again sits on this throne in heaven. So as we reach the second half of our journey, our pilgrimage through the Beatitudes, we now turn to becoming more like Jesus. And what this looks like is we turn from Beatitudes that are about our approach our attitude to God, to be attitudes that are about becoming like Jesus. We see this in our approach, our attitude to others, to our fellow human beings. And this should come as no surprise now because we have been comparing the Beatitudes and the Ten Commandments and seeing their connection. And in the fall, we observed how the Ten Commandments are structured this way as well, how they begin with a focus on our relationship with God, on loving God, and this moves to our response to this our relationship with one another, loving our neighbors. We remember that after God delivered his people from slavery, in Egypt, they inherited a responsibility to him, but also to one another. That after God lovingly showed mercy to his people, he expected them to show the same mercy and love to one another. And Jesus teaches the same thing throughout his ministry, and we see it here especially in the fifth beatitude where Jesus teaches that there is a practical response to being made righteous, to being filled. There is a response to God's mercy, and that is to turn and in turn be merciful. Not out of obligation, it's a response, because it's the mercy of Christ that moves us to become and to be merciful just like he is. But when the fifth beatitude states, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Psalm 18 states, with the merciful you show yourself merciful. They aren't saying that this mercifulness is what has to come first, that we need to show mercy to gain mercy. They aren't saying these are conditions that are being put on any benefit we might receive from God, or that we need to earn God's favor. Jesus himself expressly teaches us that what God does is show us mercy to such an astonishing degree that it awakens in us a response out of infinite gratitude to go and do likewise, to show mercy and compassion and grace towards others. And this is why when Jesus teaches all his disciples how to pray, he teaches us to pray that our Father in heaven would forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray this almost every week. Some of you probably pray it every day. This is a good reminder as we continue to grow and develop, as we progress in our pilgrimage, our journey through our Christian life as Jesus' disciples. We are to show mercy as it has been shown to us. 
As we talked about with the kids, and I read in Luke 7 this week, Jesus had his feet anointed by this sinful woman. She poured expensive perfume. Oh, Abe got it right. I forgot about that part. Washed his feet with tears and dries his feet with her hair. He should just come up and stand here and <laughs> correct me. And the people around Jesus were taken aback as to why Jesus would allow this sinful, unclean woman to touch him. So he tells a parable about two forgiven debts. One is very big, maybe a million dollars, maybe a full bag of jelly beans. The other is small, maybe a hundred dollars, maybe just one jelly bean. And then he asks who would be more grateful. And the people answer correctly that it would be the one who has been forgiven, the greater debt. And Jesus explains that this sinful woman is honoring him with this display because she has been forgiven so much, and she is so grateful for it. The people around couldn't understand because Jesus was taking their way of seeing sin, seeing the world, this upside-down world, and he was turning it right side up. The sinful woman had done nothing to deserve or earn mercy, but Jesus showed her mercy anyway, and she in turn responded. So this episode in Luke, journey of discipleship, the pilgrim's progress that we've been talking about from depravity, takes us from depravity to receiving mercy to a virtuous response. And this is the same response we see in the Beatitudes. Now last week, we spent quite a bit of time going through a personal story uh, and we were all waiting to see if I would get my Snickers bar or not. And this was meant to be a sort of participatory illustration uh, about craving. It was about your craving for the story to end. It was about my craving for a Snickers bar. And, and these things were meant to help us to reflect on how we are prone to craving the wrong things. This week, we've done something similar. We've spent way more time focusing on the context of the fifth beatitude in relation to the others, then on the Beatitude itself, we've spent time repeatedly looking at the sequence of the Beatitude and how they represent the pilgrim's progress from spiritual poverty to mercy. But this is because, just as the parable shows us, if we don't go through the whole process of the Beatitudes that proceed, then we will struggle when we get to mercy. If we only focus on mercy, or start with mercy, then we might be inclined to ask ourselves, mercy for what? Do I really need it? And we see that this is certainly the case in our world today. So many in our culture are inclined to say things like, but I'm a good person. I can't believe in a God that wouldn't let me into his kingdom. And that's just the kind of thinking of those who haven't yet recognized their spiritual bankruptcy. And if we haven't recognized our spiritual bankruptcy, how can we recognize how much we have been forgiven? How can we be truly grateful? If we haven't experienced great mercy, how can we understand what it means to, in turn, be merciful? If we haven't gone through the whole process, if we haven't experienced things like true humility, as we read in the third Beatitude, if we feel someone's harmed us in some way, then our reaction won't be one of mercy or grace or forgiveness. 
rather one of seeking vengeance, seeking personal vindiction, personal justice. As we've said before, immediately dropping the gloves when someone trips us and we fall on our face in front of everybody. Jesus teaches in the parable of the merciful debtor, as we heard in our gospel reading today, that not being able to show mercy, to show grace, to grant forgiveness to others, is a sign that our own hearts have not fully experienced, have not fully understood God's forgiveness, His mercy, and His grace. This is why we can't skip the beginning of the journey. We can't skip the hard bits to get to the good bits. Now yesterday it was a privilege for some of us to sit and listen to some of the region faculty sharing the connection between the Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah 40 and the opening of the Gospel of Mark. And they pointed out that the Gospel, the good news, begins with a voice in the wilderness, in a place of desolation and despair. But it's from despair that we turn to and can really appreciate hope. And we've just experienced this ourselves in some small way as we've come out of the long, dark nights of winter and we've reflected on this during Advent. It's out of the darkness that we can really appreciate the light as the days are starting to get longer. It's a relief to all of us. And this is why when old friends say things like, you were the last person I thought would turn out to be a pastor, that's something to celebrate. That's good news. Because God has changed me. No, I, I wasn't born a pastor. And as I've confessed many times, I'm still on the journey. I'm still a work in progress, and I will be until the day I die. But my journey, my progress, my walk with Jesus has brought me here today. And that same friend who pointed that out has supported me every step of the way on that journey, even made the effort to come all the way over to Langley to attend and celebrate my ordination. So while many of these events of foolishness of my youth and, and how I wasn't always set on being a good disciple that I've shared in sermons don't make for a stellar resume for, for a future rector. When I did get to meet with the selection committee back in the day, we did get to talk a bit about some of them. They gave me the opportunity to share my testimony about my journey with Jesus, my progress, my transformation. And it's been a while since we've had the opportunity to hear testimonies from some of you, but I hope we will get that opportunity very soon to see that it is a journey we all share. Because I take comfort, as I hope you will today, in knowing that we all had to start somewhere. That as Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes, the true transformation of a person starts somewhere. In that place of depravity, desolation, despair, recognizing the God-sized void in our life, that place of spiritual poverty, that place of recognizing that we are not worthy to our calling as Christ's disciples. But it progresses, it moves to a place of mourning, to a place of coming to Him in humility, to a place of craving for righteousness, to a place of receiving 
God's mercy to a changed life, life that is being transformed. And in his Beatitudes, Jesus says that for this, we are all blessed. For this, we can be thankful. So let's pray. Almighty God, you have not dealt with us according to our sins. You have not rewarded us according to our iniquities. Grant that we who for our evil deeds deserve to be punished by the might of your grace may be mercifully relieved. And as we gratefully receive your mercy, your forgiveness of our sins. May we in turn be merciful to others and forgive those who sin against us. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.